What's up, guys? Welcome to Birdwatch, an Orleans Pelicans podcast powered by NOLA.com. I am Christian Clark, the Pelicans beat writer for NOLA.com, uh, here today with Pels columnist Scott Kushner. Hello, how are you today? Oh, uh, you know, uh, as well as digital sports <laughs> yeah. producer Jeff Nowak. Hey, y'all. Guys, it has been six days since I was in Sacramento to presumably watch the Pelicans face the Kings in a basketball game. Uh, it feels like it's been 6,000 years. Um, I don't know what day it is. I don't know what I've done the past three days. I know I watched like Chappelle's show on DVD a little bit last night, but I mean, how have you guys, I mean, how are you guys just dealing with the coronavirus stuff? Um, I mean, I assume you guys are just cooped up at home too. Well, in the spirit of social distancing, we should probably let people know that we are in three different locations. <laughs> so if the, if the audio quality uh, gets kind of iffy, it's, uh, you can blame it on health. Yeah, I kind of feel like the human embodiment of the mo- of the scene in uh, Jumanji where uh, Robin Williams comes out and he's got this crazy beard. And he's like, what year is it? That's how I feel right now. <laughs> and uh, I have the beard. Uh, the beard's on the way. It's not quite there yet, but that's how I feel. I mean, it's been abnormally normal for me uh, as far as I've got someone to help watching my kids. I've been in my office. I've been like doing stuff. Uh, but at the same time, Every single half hour, I'm still like checking something, hoping to get like a score update, and it just doesn't exist. And uh, so that just sucks. It just sucks. Uh, everything about this is is really uh, lame. I'm really having a hard time finding like a a, a good angle uh, of this whole thing. My fiance told me that I should grow my mustache out until basketball comes back. Uh, now that Woj has reported, it's probably going to be mid June before the NBA is back. I'm a little afraid to because I would look like a character from Narcos after he got thrown in jail for a couple of months. Uh, it would frankly be disgusting. I grew a mustache out one time in Denver and trust me, you guys don't want to see pictures. Um, it feels a little inconsequential to even be talking about basketball right now uh, with, with everything that's going on. But, but just to give you guys a picture of, of where the NBA is at and you know how long it could be at a standstill, um, the CDC basically said that they're recommending against gatherings of eight or more people for the next two months. Uh, like I just mentioned, Woe said that it's probably going to be, you know, mid-June at the earliest before the NBA is back. The NBA has told players that they're allowed to leave their home markets, which is a pretty good indication that it's going to be a long, long time. I mean, right now, it, it, it kind of feels like, you know, the chances that the Pelicans are able to make up all 18 remaining regular season games is very, very slim. Um, I would honestly be surprised if we saw much of a regular season at all. And I mean, it, it just feels like anything's on the table right now. I just don't understand why the NBA at this point would even bother playing the rest of the regular season. Uh, there's such a small benefit at this point, which really would be just to make up the revenue for home teams because every team having to pay back eight or nine home games is a lot of money. But really, considering the crunch they're going to be in, uh, if they're even able to play 90 days from now, it just doesn't make any sense to continue the regular season. And what are you fighting for? A couple teams fighting for an eight seed uh, that are definitely going to lose in the first round. So what have you honestly accomplished uh, from a competitive standpoint? So I just don't see why they do it. The playoffs is where they need to, to really have it. And even if they just play, shoot, just play the final four, you know, just the semifinals, they could do that. Uh, but they need to get the playoffs in any way they can because that is really that would really hurt the nba if they weren't able to do that but you also have to sit there and consider like there's an off season for a reason 
And you don't come back from the offseason and just jump right into highly competitive basketball. You know, they play preseason games <laughs> and they're kind of stupid and inconsequential, but they get you back into the flow of basketball. And the idea that these guys are going to just disappear for, gosh, three months and then just come back and all of a sudden they're supposed to play playoff caliber basketball. How is that even possible to do? Are you risking injury to these guys if you do it? Um, that's the reason people come back from injury on minutes restrictions. And it's going to, I don't see how you thread that needle. I, I, I feel like they're going to eventually cancel the season. I just, it's hard to see a way around that because you're basically just restarting a different season for eight teams or 15 yeah. teams. Rather. You could have a 10 day training camp though. And I think that would, you know, alleviate some of the concern. And I just, you know, the idea of just canceling the whole thing, unless it goes until uh, what date do you think they would actually have to say, look, we are not going to even try to play a postseason and choose a champion. I mean, what do you think? It has to go to September to October to where uh, they're just completely like, we can't do this anymore. It's just crazy to think about that. We, we could be looking at a scenario where there's just not a record of, of what happened during, you know, a very exciting NBA season. Like would they even pick an MVP I mean, just, you know, not having two teams get to the finals, not having a champion, it affects so much of what goes on in free agency, too. Like, now, the if let's just say that the rest of the season gets canceled and the Bucks have to go to Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, and, you know, they don't have those playoff games to go off. And they're like, hey, man, do you want to do you want to sign this extension? And he says no. Like, they're probably going to have to trade him. Yeah. I mean, the only precedent, as far as I can tell, is 1994 1994- baseball season right uh and as far and i guess the nhl had like a full locked out season sometime the early 2000s but the baseball season they named an mvp uh there was a whole season there was you know whatever 100 something games played and then the end of august they just like cut it and it was over and uh that was because of a, a strike this would be a similar situation except for it would be you know not the fault of anybody it would just be the way it goes so it's not totally unprecedented that it's never happened before in American sports. It'd be really weird though. Uh, and it'd be really weird, especially given the context of everything that you're going through and that you don't know when this thing is going to restart. And all of a sudden they're going to tell you one day that it's just not going to. And I mean, what is it? The, the LeBron's of the world. I mean, people who have a lot of stake in this thing, uh, I can just see really pushing against that prospect. Well, as far as the MVP race goes, uh, you know, I think I personally would cast my vote with LeBron with just the way that he guided the Lakers going into the coronavirus crisis. I think that was huge, guys. Huge leadership. <laughs> what an incredible performance he did of attending a funeral and, uh, you know, talking. Uh, really just amazing performance by LeBron. And definitely the MVP, no doubt. <laughs> uh, it, it's bad. It's getting bad, people. <laughs> I I don't know. It just it just honestly just feels silly to to even be worried about basketball right now. Like I don't know. We're not economists or, or people you know who cover politics or anything, but like we could be headed towards a really bad recession. And I I could just speak personally as someone who you know relied on on service industry jobs to pay my bills for most of my three years in Denver. I folks who don't know, I did this uh, covered the NBA part time in Denver for most of my time there, and I was working as a cook you just can't miss shifts when, when you have jobs like that. Like you're, even if you're feeling a little bit sick, like you feel like you have to go into work because you need that money. And I'm, I'm sure that's how so many people who, who live in New Orleans feel right now. I mean, just the percentage of the population here that depends on just hourly paychecks coming in to pay their bills is huge, even compared to 
other major American cities. And I guess those are the people I'm thinking about the most right now. Yeah, they're going to be hit the hardest, uh, no doubt. And you know, you'd go drive around. Today is the first day of you know them not allowing people in restaurants and just seeing how many op- how many empty open restaurants there are, and it's depressing because you know those are a lot of people's jobs: is serving tables, uh, waiting bar. Uh, just they're gone, and and there's nothing to get those jobs back. And we're talking about the difference between millions and billions over here. I mean, all of these NBA players will ultimately be fine. The owners particularly will be fine. I just don't know what's going to happen to a lot of these economies, but these are the kinds of things that sports usually does for us, right? It's usually, okay, I don't want to think about how depressing this entire situation is for the rest of the country. Let's talk about who the MVP is going to be. And now we don't have that, you know, it's like, there's no data coming in. There's no game to watch. There's no thing to discuss. Uh, it, it's really makes it uh, a much more painful process. I think. What's the weirdest thing you have watched to pass the time since there's just nothing to watch? I'm curious what you guys have to say. Christian. But uh, it can't be porn. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, some might consider this porn. Etwan uh, Moore's uh, floater package. Uh, that's, I watched a ton of Etwan Moore highlights yesterday. I put together an Etwan Moore mixtape. Um, I set it to that Maze and Frankie Beverly song. Shout out to uh, Rod for the recommendation. I think a total of 50 people have watched it on YouTube, so it's really doing numbers right now. <laughs> I have watched so much children's programming at this point. I honestly cannot listen to Elmo talk for another five seconds. It's just, uh, yeah, man, uh, having a two-year-old in the house who's not allowed to go to daycare and has no social interaction with anybody his age makes life a little bit uh, difficult. So, dude, between that and then just, like, I'm trying to watch the West Wing again, just, like, to totally balance it out on the other side whenever they go to sleep. So I've got just this combination of Aaron Sorkin and Elmo, and I don't know what's going on in my head right now. <laughs> well, sure, you should write an episode of Sesame Street, but, like, in Aaron Sorkin's voice. Just one long tracking shot of them walking yeah. around Sesame Street. <laughs> so... So I, I don't have any kids or anything. So I, I'm just like sitting in my office trying to like find something to do. And there's no sports on. So I've just started watching like highlights of old, uh, old games of old, like uh, playoff series. Like I watched the 2009 Celtics Bulls first round playoff series last night. There was a 54 minute highlight package. I watched the entire thing. Uh, and I, I, last night I was sitting in the office, like watching like autoplay YouTube videos and just scroll through. And uh, my girlfriend walked in. She's like, are you just watching like reruns of sports? And I felt like, I felt like she caught me like relapsing. Like I, I, I mean, I've just been cut off and I'm, and I'm jonesing for basketball. It's just, it's, it's just a very weird time. Well, something similar happened to me last night too. Ashley, uh, my fiance had gone to bed and I was sitting here like having a beer and watching one of Phoenix's live shows that they played in New York city like five years ago. And like, I didn't have any lights on cause I didn't want to disturb her. I was just looking at my laptop, like jamming out, drinking a beer. And she comes in, she's like, what are you doing? And I like closed my laptop all quick, even though I had nothing to hide. And I was like, I'm watching one of Phoenix's live shows. Like they were just playing Listomania. But yeah, I did feel guilty. I didn't even have a reason to feel guilty. Oh man, I know. I need to get back on video games or something. I need, yeah, this is, the, the difference with children is just a whole different world. That The second they fall asleep, it just feels like you've really won the day. Um, 
but it's a long climb to get there every, every afternoon. You are the, the best birth control of my life because every time I talk to you, I'm just like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing kids off for another year more than the timeline that I had in my head. It, I'm sure it's great, but uh, I'm sure it's a lot of work. It's the best and the worst all at once. It is, uh, there's, there's no in-between ground. There's certainly not boredom. I'm not bored. I'll tell you that much. Okay, so the Pelicans are 28 and 36. They have played what many consider the NBA's most difficult schedule. They've been ravaged by injury. They've finally gotten healthy. I guess with the possibility that they, they very well might have played their last game in the 2019-2020 season, I want to just ask you guys, if you had to put a grade on, on what they've done so far, um, what would you go with and why? I mean, I, I guess I would say a C plus. I don't know. I mean, that seems to be – I think people are going to walk away with it thinking it's a success. But I take the, the whole picture instead of the partial picture, and they were a losing basketball team. Uh, I think they had a lot more talent than what showed. I think they were definitely injured, but the, the fact they were so bad in close games uh, cost them from being a much better team than they could have been. And I, I think we've seen that over the last few weeks, right, that even healthy, they were so, so, so bad in the last five minutes of these games that it really did translate to this first couple months. I don't think they get a failing grade. I don't think they're just average. I think they're a little bit above average. So B minus C plus, however you want to put it in that category. The good news is that all of the pieces that you needed to really see going into next year, uh, Zion is clearly ready to be a contributor in the NBA and a 25, 30 point score right away. Uh, Brandon Ingram was an all-star whether or not he's able to kind of maintain that alongside Zion, we don't know. But that was the kind of the, the next biggest piece. Lonzo Ball, clearly an NBA caliber, a very high caliber point guard. You've got those key pieces that are in place, and that is more important than the record as a whole. So if you're looking at the overall trajectory and what it means, I'd say a total pass uh, for that. Like so They did very well from a big picture. If you're asking to grade just the season, I don't think it was that good of a season. I think they played uh, below their best, you know, more often than not. Um, so for me, this is kind of a cop out, but, you know, I, I have to give them basically, you know, if I'm giving them a grade, I'm giving them an incomplete because I uh, haven't seen them from the team. Uh, you, know, I, you know, but and I say that because I'm not even ready to say Zion Williamson has played enough games to not be a rookie anymore. Right. If you if you had them, if, if, they, if this was a class, they would have to repeat it next year, assuming they don't play any more games, which is what I'm assuming until I know otherwise. Uh, and, you know, if I had to grade them on partial credit, I'd put them in the C range. You know, you can't call it a D because they have been competitive and this team is built to be better down the road. So they're they're on the right trajectory. But it's weird to put a grade on it because you don't know what would have happened. Could they could they come out in those last 15 games? and made a run at the playoffs. And then you kind of go into the B, B plus range versus what they were expected to do. But I just like, what did Zion play? 28 games, maybe? I mean, 19, 19, right. I don't see how you can look at a 19 game rookie season. You know, would he, he's probably gonna be eligible for the rookie of the year next year, isn't he? I mean, how, <laughs> how many games do you have to play before you lose your eligibility? But I don't know, it's just tough. It's tough. Cause I, I didn't see enough from Zion and Brandon Ingram either to think that, you know, is that like a viable long-term like, two-star lineup. I don't know. I mean, I saw Brandon Ingram without Zion. He looked great. But when Zion returned, I didn't see that same type of killer instinct in a lot of those games. 
uh, maybe once or twice. So I don't know. It's it's really tough. Yeah, that high school. I had a high school English teacher who said that, oh, most students should get C's. C is really an average. Uh, a lot of teachers have warped your brain to think that B is average. Actually, C is average. You guys remind me of that teacher. I think both of you guys were excessively harsh. I I, I wrote down a B plus before I talked to you guys. Because, oh, come on. Look, I think that this year was about winning. It became about winning when you brought in Derek Favors and J.J. Redick. I mean, that's those are both moves that said we're going for it this year. But this this year was mostly about do your young pieces, did they improve and, and show that they are, are, I guess, valuable long-term players? And I think the answer is absolutely. Uh, Zion Williamson, number one option. Uh, Brandon Ingram, absolutely. I don't think anybody saw Brandon Ingram make it a leap like this. And I think Lonzo Ball, a uh, very disappointing start there, has absolutely showed that he's a point guard in the future. But how do you explain Drew Holiday going from being supposed to be the best player on the team to having, I mean, a pretty average season. You know, they're talking, they're talking about before the year as being a dark horse MVP. That was from David Griffin. That wasn't from me uh, who said he was a I dark horse. I think that was only from David Griffin. <laughs> yeah, but I'm saying, I mean, he was, a lot of people picked him to be an all-star before the season. He clearly regressed. So I don't, or at least regressed from expectation. I guess it's hard to judge because if you're saying, are you judging what this means for the future, or are you judging what this actual season is? Because if you're just judging this season in a bubble, uh, in isolation, I don't know how you can give it a B plus. Yeah, the, the true holiday thing was, you know, one of the more disappointing aspects of the season. Um, I mean, he just got off to that awful start. You know, I will say that I, I think some of that was he just had so much on his plate. I mean, Lonzo was terrible to start the year, and that kind of forced Drew to to really be the full time point guard. And once he got shifted over back to that off-ball role, I think he, that he did look like a lot better. I mean, the starting five in as a whole has been pretty exceptional. I mean, I think, you know, the Pelicans have showed when, when they are healthy that they're somewhere slightly above average. Like, they can't beat the top teams. Like, they, I think that first-round series against the Lakers, if we got that, would go five max. But they beat the teams that they should. And I, I think it would have been really interesting if we'd gotten to play out those those last 15 games. I mean, they were going to play – one team with a record of above 500. I mean, just just think if we're sitting here and they'd squeaked into the playoffs and, and gotten beat by the Lakers, uh, you know, in five games, what your grade would have been. Sure. That's a, that's not what happened, though. I mean, that's what I did. I'm not judging it on it. That, I mean, that's that if that had happened, that obviously would have raised them what happened a, a pretty good bit. But based on what we saw in the, what did they play, 60 game, 62 games, something like that? 63, that's not the Pelicans that we got most of the time. Most nights what we got was a team that was pretty good against bad teams and horrible against good teams. And that's just sort of, uh, you know, what the, the, the Pelicans were. And so I don't, uh, to me, that's a C plus, but I, I don't know. I, I think what you said about the late game struggles was a really good point. I mean, they were you know, one of the worst three teams in, in games in the last five minutes that were within five points. I'm very curious to see next year, you know, a lot of that will, people will chalk up to youth, and I think that's fair. Like, the Pelicans asked Brandon Ingram to be, you know, their go-to guy down the stretch because Drew Holiday pretty much couldn't do it. Um, Brandon Ingram's 22 years old. Uh, you know, how much better does does that get next season, I think, is one of the biggest things I'm going to be watching. But I think it's it's safe to say that a fair amount of that can be attributed to youth. But yeah, that was, you know, maybe 
their biggest issue all season was that they're horrible late and close games. Yeah, and I think a lot of that, when they go back and reflect on this, as far as entering next season, whenever that might happen to be, uh, I think the biggest casualty of that will be Alvin Gentry. Uh, and, and whether fair or not, coaching that many young guys and is that difficult as that situation was of, hey, go give Brandon Ingram the ball and tell him to go get us buckets at the end of the game. Alvin Gentry, I think, is going to be the one who falls on a sword for that more so than anyone. Uh, perhaps Drew Holiday ends up on the trade market in a way that he wouldn't have been, but I think it's going to cost Alvin Gentry his job ultimately uh, because they were so close so many nights and there, once it gets down to those little portions of games, you can start really nitpicking individual decisions. And, uh, and I think that that's what's going to end up happening. Yeah, the, the corollary I put on it a lot of the time is you, the Raptors with Dwayne Casey, he won coach of the year. And then they fired him and hired Nick Nurse. And it was more about the fit with Nick Nurse than I think it was not thinking Dwayne Casey could coach this team. You know, it was, it was about the trajectory and where you think Nick Nurse could take you versus where you have gotten with Dwayne Casey and have you seen the you seen the ceiling of what he can do. Uh, and I think if, if Gentry does get fired, I think it's more about that. I think it's more about the person you're bringing in. They're not going to fire him because, oh, we think we can find anybody who's better. They're going to fire him if there's an option on the table that they like that they think is, is the best coach for this team at this time. Uh, and Drew Holiday, I've been saying for a while – his lack of perimeter shooting and shooting in general, I mean, he's a bad free throw shooter, is just hamstringing them a lot in a lot of these games. I, I was talking to someone the other day, and he was a Blazers fan, and we were talking about how I, I don't know if there's a trade that makes more sense in the NBA than just a straight-up swap between the Blazers and the Pelicans for Drew Holiday and C.J. McCollum. To me, that, that swap would be perfect, and that's exactly what holds back the Pelicans right now is that they don't have that shooter. They don't have that perimeter threat, that guy who can get to the rim who's going to shoot 90% for the free throw line. And on the Blazers' side, they already have that guy in Damian Lillard. They need a guy like Drew Holiday, plus they get him off the street so he can't put Dame in timeout every time they play. But I, I think like that's, that's the type of adjustment in terms of coaching, in terms of strategy, in terms of the players that you have on the roster that you look at, where it's like, these aren't bad players. These aren't, this isn't a bad coach. But is there a better fit somewhere? I think that's an interesting trade. I think, like you said, that uh, Damian Lillard would love that. So, so Drew couldn't put him in jail a couple of times a year. <laughs> you know, there's the late game stuff. And then the other thing I'm curious about next year, too, this Pelicans team collectively doesn't seem to have uh, a very high basketball IQ. So many unforced errors. Like, this team is able to pull off, like, a three-quarters court alley-oop routine that we saw Lonzo and, and Zion do that a couple of times. But so often they're dribbling the ball off their foot out of bounds or, or failing to make like a 15-foot chest pass. So many just basic mistakes. And I don't know how much of that is is coaching and how much of that is just the players you have. I mean, I don't know how much a different coach improves that. Um, I'm, I'm just saying I don't know. But this was a very frustrating team to watch at times. I'll put it this way. That's been the complaint about this team for five years. There have been a lot of different players to come through in those five years, and they've been throughout a low basketball IQ team. So you take what the through line is for those five years, and the only two I can think of are Drew Holiday and Alvin Gentry. So, uh, you know, that's part of the problem uh, is you've got to get a team that is either – more diligently coached, more disciplined, 
Um, or you have to get a group of players who is more experienced and or smarter. Uh, the only time this team was a really smart team was when Rondo was on the ball most of the time. And that was a really short amount of time that that happened. And they were really, really good during that uh, that period. But it is really difficult to find those guys. I mean, I think, you know, how many smart teams would you say are out there? There's not that many. I mean, a lot of teams make a lot of mistakes. Uh, theirs tend to be like these late game meltdowns, which is more, uh, I think, indicative of exactly where the problems lie. Uh, and you just can't have a team that you sell them, go out and play and go run and go all that stuff. It's like in the last two, three minutes of the game, you have to do more than that. You can't just say, hey, go out and play and let's see our flow and we got what, and, and read and react. It's like it does take more than that. And they, they just clearly could not take that step this season. And it's not to say that Alvin Gentry isn't the right guy for a certain situation, but for this situation, it just doesn't look like he fits in that well. Yeah, Drew is such an interesting player because, you know, obviously most people nationally remember him just absolutely crushing it in that Blazers series. I think that there is a chance that, you know, Drew is one of those guys who's just a better playoff performer than a regular season performer. You know, Draymond Green talks about 16 game players versus 82 game players. I think Drew, you know, might be one of those guys, you know, he has the ability to create his own shot, which is at a premium in the playoffs. He's able to switch and, and guard you know, multiple types of offensive players, which is, is something you particularly want in the playoffs. But yeah, it was overall a disappointing year for him. And, you know, he is one of the biggest culprits why this team just, just makes so many head-scratching mistakes, too. Yeah, he's a, he is very valuable in ways that you don't see, too, as far as what he does defensively and what they ask of, to, of him to do defensively. And I, I don't know, you know, Brandon Ingram there were some nights where he was just terrible defensively. Uh, and Zion is not there yet on that side of the ball either. So there are holes that I think Drew Holiday was asked to fill that might not have been fair. I mean, how many times was he guarding a guy who was 6'9", 6'10"? Um, you know, one of those nights he was guarding Anthony Davis. I mean, it was insane. But it just doesn't look like he's the right piece for that place. And I think you might be right. He might be a great playoff player. He also just might be a really good guy in certain matchups and, uh, and that you need certain players to be in that spot. I don't know what the space is going to look like. I don't know what the trade market's going to look like. I don't know what free agency is going to look like. It all could be very different than what we're picturing, but it does seem as if this team has a lot of room for improvement because there are some very concrete pieces in place that are young and that are improving. And if you can get the right, guys around them then it can you know all of a sudden you feel like it can take off hey fellow bird watchers do you like this podcast do you like the sound of this podcast well you're in luck because you can use the same mobile audio recording platform that we do for this show it's called squadcast yes squadcast with Squadcast, you can use up to four lines, record them all separately, and then download them individually or mix them all together into one MP3 or WAV file for however you choose to edit them. It's pretty incredible. It backs up every eight seconds so you can get the highest quality audio that you can possibly get. And then you can bring them all into one recording so you don't spend half your day trying to fix a garbled audio file for that interview you've been trying to get for the last three weeks. Or, you know what? If you just want to record audio for any other purpose, even if you don't have a podcast, 
So if you want to try it out, they have a seven-day free trial. You can find the link in our show notes that will bring you directly to that page and also, you know, help support our show because we want to keep this coming to you every week. Thanks. This is back. Zion for four for four. Welcome to the NBA. Back here on Birdwatch, here today with Scott Kushner and Jeff Nowak. Uh, guys, you know, last couple of days have been largely depressing. I want to talk about something fun. Uh, I want to talk about Zion Williamson's NBA debut. And the reason I bring that up was that the Pelicans were supposed to face the Spurs Wednesday for the first time since Zion's debut. Um, if you go back to January 22nd, Zion scored 17 points in a three-minute, eight-second span. Uh, that was one of the most enjoyable stretches of basketball I've, I've ever seen. I feel lucky that I got to watch it in person. I went back and rewatched this game this morning uh, for a piece I'm I'm going to write that's going to go up on NOAA.com Wednesday morning. So I'll just tell you my biggest takeaway on the rewatch. It was the anguish that Alvin Gentry was experiencing in the fourth quarter. He was just making faces, like going through the entire emotional spectrum as the medical staff people were in his ear telling him, like, you have to get him out right now, right now. And Zion just keeps hitting three after three. Um, it would have it would have been a tough spot to be a head coach. You could see actual pain in Alvin Gentry's face. He waved him off at least two or three times. I mean, he talked about it after the game, too. He's like, I kept telling them, no, no, no. And eventually he knew, like, okay, if you don't take him out of the game, they're going to fire you, like, as you go to the locker room. <laughs> Yeah, do you think Griff was in his earpiece? Like, if you don't get him out right now, this is the last game. You can just imagine it. He was like, he just kept saying no. And it was like, okay, okay, finally he had to say yes. Um, that was the, cra- the craziest part about that is he did nothing for the first three quarters. I mean, nothing. And then all of a sudden, it was not a dunk. It wasn't like the way he played any of the rest of the games of his basketball life. It was just a barrage of like Steph Curry style three pointers. It was the strangest thing that's ever happened. I think we're going to remember that game for an incredibly long time. I remember because the stands were packed. It was packed for that game, but so many people were there exclusively to see Zion. And it was one of the biggest crowds versus like quietest arenas for a lot of that game because he was bad. He looked slow, he looked tired. You know, he looked like a guy who hadn't played basketball and everyone had like filled their minds with this crazy expectations of like, he's just going to show up and dominate. And then, and then he, he started hitting those threes and everyone's like, oh my God, he's a sharpshooter now. Um, no, he's not. When but, do you guys think yeah. Zion will hit four threes in an NBA game again? Oh my God. He doesn't yeah. need to. Cause like now I think he knows how to get to a spot and all that kind of stuff. Like. That first game, he clearly did not know what to do, and every time he touched the ball, Pop had them doubling because they knew they were going to try to get him touches. So he was getting doubled constantly, and every single time he had to pass out of it or he was turning the ball over. And so then he was getting it at the three-point line, and they were standing. How far back were they, Christian, upon watching that again? They were eight, nine feet back. I mean, they were standing basically inside the elbow, right, as he was standing there with the ball. And so he had to shoot it, and he made it. They were ugly as hell looking shots, and they all went in. And uh, and you could feel the building by that third one. I mean, it was like it was like a a, a hellscape was uh, erupting. It was like this is unbelievable. Like nobody, like Mad Max, like people were just going nuts, wanting him to shoot it, and they kept going in. It was uh, it was insane. 
I mean this as a compliment because Greg Popovich, I think, is the greatest coach in NBA history. He's one of my favorite people in sports. He was such a dick that game. Uh, you know, Zion hadn't played three months, and he basically just tells his guys, like, all right, we're just going to double him every time he gets the ball. They were doing that. Uh, they switched it up. You know, when they did do single coverage, there was four and five spurs with a foot in the paint when he tried to drive, just completely walling it off. They went zone at different points. Like, they were definitely doing the F you, man. We don't think you can make a three thing uh, for most of that game. And, you know, they, they even stuck to it in, until that fourth one. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge just playing a couple of feet off of him when, when Zion hit that 4-3. It was, it was from the left wing. That was, that was incredible, man. It, it really did feel like a playoff game, kind of like you mentioned, Jeff. I think J.J. Redick, you know, likened it to a playoff atmosphere the next day. The Pelicans bringing out the, the complimentary T-shirts that you only see reserved for playoff games was a hilarious move. I'm glad that Zion, you know, had the stretch that he did because that would have looked silly if they hadn't. I, uh, I asked Pelicans PR today. There was 160 single-game credentials issued for that game. On a regular game, there's normally about 70. So it really did feel like a playoff game in a lot of ways. It was bigger than a playoff game to me. I mean, Jeff, I mean, you were there when they've had the first round here and, and even that Warriors series, second round, none of it got the attention that that, single individual game did i mean they were how many people from espn on the court before the game they had like 35 people with credentials who weren't even you know doing the broadcast uh it was the biggest it was the most magnified nba game in the history of this city and you can even say that the only other contest in my mind would be when uh the first game back after katrina when kobe and the lakers were here and it was the first sporting event in uh in new orleans after katrina but other than that i mean that was the most magnified game i can remember yeah i mean i remember tickets for the blazers game game three when they came back and they uh they had won both games in portland and i remember seeing tickets in the first row of the second deck for about a hundred dollars yeah you were you, when you're talking about the anthony davis the second anthony the lakers game where zion was supposed to play anthony davis tickets were more expensive than that and Anthony Davis didn't play. So, I mean, the, the interest all around this guy is just completely different from anything the Pelicans have experienced. Um, but just for that game specifically, the, the funny thing to me is just how close it was to being talked about instead as, wow, is this guy any good? Because he was bad for the first three quarters. If he takes that first three and bricks it, like I'm sure he would have in a lot of other games, and he just is like, well, I guess I shouldn't take threes today then all of a sudden you're talking about a different situation. He's not going to take three more if he missed the first one. If you watch him play, he basically goes out there, takes one shot. If it goes in, he's like, ah, oh, maybe I'll take another one. It usually doesn't go in. You know, he had 17 points in the three-minute stretch. If he misses that first shot and comes out at the normal time, he would have came out in his minutes restriction. He ends with five points and three rebounds or whatever it was. You, you, all you'll hear the next 48 hours is, uh, oh, he's, he's slow. He's out of shape. They should have, they should have sat him out the season. Instead, you have this like crazy hype train that's only gotten higher and higher. During that stretch when he hit those four threes, there were two separate times when Alvin Gentry told Nicola Melli to go to the scorer's table and then called him back. Two different times. Melli went up to the scorer's table and then came back. And then the third time, Derek Favors went up to the scorer's table. Zion got fouled. He's at the free throw line about to score his 17th points of the quarter. And the camera pans to Alvin Gentry, and he's just shaking his head in disbelief. He has a 1,000-yard stare. He looks disgusted. It made me so happy. I laughed so much on that rewatch. I just remember Mark Jackson. What was it, like 90 seconds into the game? Mark Jackson was on national TV calling him fat. It took no time to be like, oh, yeah, this guy's fat. 
And I was like, really, like, really, man? You're going to go full guns out, like, with the biggest ESPN, like, regular season audience of the season and just call this guy fat on national TV? It's like, okay. And you know what? He wasn't wrong. He de- As we saw as the weeks went by, he got into better shape. He was not in the best possible condition for that first game, uh, which is what would be what would be very interesting is if you have these teams that are tanking and they do restart the season and they have these guys come back to play the last 20 games, what terrible shape some of these guys are going to come back in uh, to finish the regular season if they have to. I mean, I can, can you even imagine what some of these guys are going to look like if you play for the, you know, if you play for the Knicks and you're out there to play the last 18 games and you had four months off? <laughs> Right, and that's what I mean when I say like there's a health there's a health aspect here where these guys aren't ready to play NBA basketball, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and the, the other funny thing I, I remember about Gentry is like I, I remember seeing him like with that look on his face and thinking like you can almost see the wheels the, the cogs turning in his head of like these guys are gonna they're gonna berate me for taking out Zion now I'm gonna have to do it though. And then like the first thing he said upon getting like at the end of his comments was like, I know you're going to ask me why I took him out. I had to take him out. I didn't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> Can uh, you yeah. imagine how many hours of meetings he sat in for like four straight months about what Zion's recovery timeline was going to look like on the court? And then he's sitting there just waving off his trainer <laughs> as this dude is just bombing threes. It was the strangest thing. I was like, God, how many wasted conversations did they have between Griffin in the room, like Trajan Langdon, Alvin, Chris Finch and then like sixteen medical guys, and meanwhile Alvin just waving the waving dudes off left and right. Yeah, you could you could see that there were two buttons inside Alvin's head. One of them said "Listen to what they've said in the meetings the last four months," and the other button said "F it." And you could just see his hand hovering over the "F it" button. Uh, he went with the "Listen to what they've said in the meetings the last four months," but it was pretty close. Uh, Mark Jackson also had a really funny comment when Zion was at the free throw line. He's about to get subbed out. He was like. I'd love to see the analytics on uh, if a guy gets hurt, if he plays five more minutes or something like that, like going to like the, the analytics bashing. It's like, it's, it's not even about analytics. Like really? I mean, he can't, Pelican had a, he can hardly yeah. breathe. <laughs> yeah. He needs a respirator machine. I'm not sure analytics, uh, analytics factor in knee surgeries, but uh, there's, there's, there's probably a decent reason that he uh, was replaced as the coach of the Warriors, despite having like, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and all these folks. So, well, I'll just say as a quick aside, do you guys remember the story about uh, when Steph Curry, you know, was really going through his ankle issues, and he was invited to Mark Jackson's church, and he was called up to the altar, and Mark Jackson's wife actually uh, spread oil on Steph Curry's ankle and said, "You're healed now." And they asked Steph Curry to get up and you know say, you know, the Lord has healed you. How do you feel, basically? So I don't, I don't know what the analytics said about that one either. But. I mean. Has he had the same ankle problem since? You can't tell me. Yeah. And it didn't work. That the high top sneakers, one thing, one or the other. <laughs> Causation is. <laughs> Once we get off this call, I might email his wife and just see if there's any essential oils that can help with the coronavirus crisis. The one thing I will give Mark Jackson is he came out years before this has become a obvious thing and said, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson are the best shooting backcourt of all time. And everyone told him he was crazy. Because Ray Allen exists and Reggie Miller existed. Oh, he still exists too, I guess. Uh, and but you know, he he called that because they are, and I don't think it's even really a question. But yeah, I, I mean, he's he's a guy. Uh, yeah, he's a guy. He's a guy. Well, 
if this was it that we saw from Zion, um, I, I think, you know, he more than lived up to the hype, which is saying something because there was just massive hype around this. That's all Zion has done since high school is live up to the hype. I mean, I just remember the writers from the National Outlets who were there for that first game. There was a writer from the freaking New Yorker there. I mean, there was someone from the Washington Post. There's two people from the New York Times. Uh, shout out to the one guy from the New York Times who was doing the story of, hey, Zion, you think if you had uh, played soccer through high school, you'd have less chance of getting hurt too? That was a pretty fun one to try to do at that time. But, you know, I, I commend Zion for, for how he's handled all the attention. You know, I think he's gotten annoyed by it at times. Uh, you know, when you ask him about players on his team, he kind of lights up and gives you a good answer. When you ask him about himself, he's like, come on, guys. Like, I, I'm just 19 and we're just trying to win some games right now. I'll be very excited to not have to say he's 19 again. Uh, it's really, that's like the part I'm looking forward to most in next season is not having to listen to him being like, I feel like Jason Tatum was 19 for like four and a half years. Uh, Zion is the same way where it's like, yeah, like if you he was 20 instead of 19, I feel like people would just say it less. It's not that he'd be that much older. They would just, the word the word 20 just sounds less than the word 19, or sounds so much more mature than the word 19. But he handled it great this season, honestly. It sucks uh, dealing with what he dealt with uh, all season. There's so many people there. Uh, every time he went on the road, he's getting the same crap questions over and over again. Uh, from people I think even with us I feel like he was getting annoyed at certain points like there was a game they won what was against the Miami win he didn't play terribly well and he left before you know he did he did post-game interviews I think there are moments where it's trickled in just how much attention he's getting and how kind of tired he is of it but at the same time I don't think you can do anything but commend him for how he's acted uh, with it and then I mean I know we will probably bring it up at some point but what his action to go ahead and, you know, commit to paying arena workers when they're going to be off for Lord knows how much time uh, to commit to 30 days of that really speaks volumes about where he is uh, from a maturity standpoint, because there are a lot of guys making a lot more money than him around the league who have not come close to committing anything near that. And there's a good example of he's only 19. Yeah. Um, and it, it does seem like it's like, what if he didn't have a late birthday? He would, this would somehow be less impressive. Um, but either way, it, it, it was it was really cool to see that. The odd thing to me was I, I had at least two or three people, I think, respond to that news to me specifically by saying, like, well, why isn't Gail paying these people? She's got way more money than Zion, which I thought was like, that seems like a pretty trashy take to have in that moment, which is like, oh, he did something good, but why didn't this other person? And my response was like, you don't know what Gail's going to do because Gail hasn't had a chance to do it yet. She's not going to send out an Instagram post announcing that she's going to you know, do all these things. She's going to get these things sorted out. She's not Mark Cuban. Everything she does is with purpose. She plans her statements. She doesn't talk unless she wants you to hear it. And I, yesterday she came out and you know, donated a million dollars to to the coronavirus response. Started a fund for arena workers. Um, and she's matching Dixie beer sales for the next 30 days, which... Uh, you know, I don't drink Dixie, but, you know, that's kind of neat. But, yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> people aren't inherently, you know, bad people, you know. Just let them do good things and, and things will happen. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that I guess I just thought was a little strange was just the statement that the team issued right after Zion announced that he was going to cover, uh, you know, part-time workers and, and all that. It sounded a little bit defensive to me when it didn't need to. Like, all you, I felt like all you needed to say in that situation was like, hey, this is really cool, and, you know, 
it's complicated at our end because we don't own Smoothie King Center. We're working with a vendor, but we've got plans to work work on it. And that was all you needed to say. I don't know. But you know what? Ownership definitely stepping up. Gil Benson has pretty much been nothing but good since taking over the Pelicans. So shout out to that uh, and, and people who are you know using their power and their resources for good right now because these are really scary times. Yeah, and I, I think I just hate the concept of like charity shaming people. You didn't give enough. You didn't do whatever. It's like the fact that anybody wants to do anything is good. And, and there's such a desire to look at the negative in some of these situations that it's like, instead of just saying, let's just take a day to celebrate the fact that Zion did something really great, you know? And you know what? Zion probably had the freedom to do that in a way that Gail Benson probably didn't, where she needed uh, a lot of numbers and there's four different groups that work at the arena so you've got the lighting people and the staging people and the ushers and the security like there's a lot of different groups that go involved they all have different wages meanwhile zion can just say look i'm committing to pay for 30 days of this and then he knows that between jordan brand and caa he's got backup uh there to kind of help him pay for it if it were to go over the certain amount that he wanted to pay it was just it's an all about timing of announcement and people just jump on things because the way that they find out about it is through social media. So they want an answer like the second that it happens. Anyway, I think anybody that's doing anything, quite frankly, is great. I'd encourage anyone that cares at all about a restaurant in this city, in this community, to order takeout, to tip on that takeout. Uh, anybody that can do anything, you know, and stay within their means, just do it. Because these are really, these are going to be very, very, very tough times for a lot of people. Yeah, and I think part of it, too, is you look at it, and like we started this podcast joking about, it's been what five days six days barely yeah. you know it feels like it's been six weeks it literally was last wednesday that this all happened <laughs> so it's like we're barely we're not even a week they wouldn't even have played a home game yet unless i'm mistaken like <laughs> so we're, we're really this is uncharted territory here. all right real quick before we go i need you guys to each recommend one show one movie for people to take in right now while they got nothing to do you go first one show yeah, give 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 people something to watch. All right, people need Rex right now. Well, I'm currently rewatching The Office for like the 97th time, so that seems like a that seems like a good one. <laughs> I, I've never heard of The Office. What's it about? <laughs> uh, me, me and my fiance watched uh, the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Let me tell you, a very satisfying movie. J uh, Johnny Depp was on another level, basing his basing his performance on Mick Jagger. Not going the usual pirate route. Uh, a plus, high marks for my book. I, I what was your TV show? Oh, we have to uh, do both. It could be anything. Just give something. Okay. Yeah, I would, I went with Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay. I would say for TV show, I've been watching uh, Thirty Rock again, which I've forgotten. That's on Amazon Prime. It is spectacular. I forgot. Also Hulu. Such yep. a machine gun of jokes. And then at the other point, you have. Uh, I've also been watching, I did say I was watching The West Wing, then I watched The Front Runner, which was Hugh Jackman's movie about uh, Gary Hart, which was really, really, really good, and I enjoyed that as well. So a lot of uh, political humor there, which I don't know what that is all about. All right, Kushner, well, you look tired. Go take a nap. Go work on your script that's, uh, you know, Sorkin-y version of Sesame Street. Um, we will talk to you guys again soon, and, and thanks for listening this week. See ya. Wash your hands.